Pray with me. Father, you say, let everything that has breath praise you. First of all, we thank you that we have breath, that we're alive, and that we're alive for your purposes, to glorify your name, to enjoy you forever. Father, receive our praise today. As long as we're breathing your air, living in your world, we want to be your people. Sometimes, Lord, we go on trips for missions, but we're reminded this morning that every day is a mission trip everywhere we are. You have a mission to love this world into relationship with yourself. You're the only one who can, and you are allowing us to join you in that work. Thank you. Thank you for commissioning us when we were baptized so that we have all the credentials we need to tell people how much you love. Lord, I pray that we be faithful messengers of the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And our desire is your desire, Lord. We we want every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every knee, every tongue acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord for your glory alone. So would you take these moments we have together to prepare us to do that better this week? That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. On Friday, I went to see my mom up in Allen, Texas, just north of Dallas. My brothers and I made the decision this week to put her on hospice. We don't know what that means in terms of time, but we agonized together about how to help her on this journey to Jesus that began for her when she was a little girl at First Baptist Church of Amarillo, Texas. And as I got in the car, to be honest, I don't don't really like to drive to Dallas, and it's a long trip. But this was a different trip in some ways because have you ever had that feeling like somebody's praying for me? Somebody's praying for me now. And from the first song on the radio Till the moment I pulled up in the driveway at, at 999 Rain Tree Circle, it was like I'm going with my Heavenly Father to see my mom. And He's with me, and He's with her, and what could be better than that? She taught me to read the Bible, she taught me to pray, she taught me to sing. So when I was with her this week, I read the Bible, and I prayed, and I'll blame this on Robin Moore, I sang, I sang loud and proud the hymns that she taught me, and it was a beautiful time, and I told her I loved her, and she told me she loved me, and it was just a wonderful time of worship, and we're struggling now, wrestling together with how do we let her go? 
But on the other hand, how do we keep her here knowing where she's going? Shakespeare put in the mouth of the melancholy Prince Hamlet, to be or not to be, that is the question. He's struggling between bad and bad, but 1,600 years before, the Apostle Paul, chained to a Roman soldier, sitting in a prison cell, asks a similar question for, for very different reasons. For me to live is Christ, he said. To die is gain. And I, I don't know which to choose. The gospel is a matter of life and death. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? Philippians chapter 1. We started a, a study, renewed a study in Philippians 1. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 11 and saw that Paul announced the gospel in Philippi, the same place where the Roman Empire started because of the Battle of Philippi, and they said, Caesar is Lord. Augustus Caesar, the Son of God, is Lord. But Paul went there some 70, 80 years later, walked in that same city gate and said, Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the gospel. Christ is the only king, and the only thing we have to figure out is whether or not he's our king. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord today. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please be seated. It looked like Paul could not win. But in fact, he knew he could not lose. If your calling in life is to plant churches and they put you in prison and chain you to a soldier, that would seem to mitigate against you fulfilling your calling. But notice about the Apostle Paul that he looked at all of life through the lens of the gospel, and through that lens, he could see things clearly. So we look at it and say, wow, what a disadvantage. And he says, so every day, four times a day, they chain me to a new soldier, and I get to tell him, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And now, the word has spread through the whole Praetorian Guard. I have a captive audience as he's chained to a guard. Not only does he get to continue to proclaim, because wherever Paul was, he was talking about Jesus being Lord, but others, seeing Paul's boldness and hearing that he's in chains, just because he talked about Jesus, think, well, maybe we should talk about Jesus too. And so they do. And so more and more people are preaching. And Paul finally comes to this conclusion. He says, so my ambition in life is that Christ will be preached. And I just want to glorify him in my body, whether I live or I die. And then this, one of the great verses in all of Scripture. For me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If you were doing fill-in-the-blanks with me this morning, two sentences, for me to live is fill-in-the-blank, to die is fill-in-the-blank, I want you to know that your first answer will inevitably affect your second. And maybe the reason it's so hard for us to see death as better by far for Christians is because for us, life is about so many other things. So many lesser things than Christ. But if we could get where Paul is, that life is really about Christ, then we would know that Jesus Christ is not a means to any end. He is the very end itself. He's the reason. He's the purpose. He's the goal of life. He's what it's all about. If you came in this morning wondering, what is life all about? Christ. And when life is about Christ, then we understand that whether we're here or there or in the air, it's better to be with Christ than any other way we could live our lives. If I could unpack it for us this morning, I would just point out Paul's perspective on life in gospel-shaped, gospel-formed community. My job is to pray and to preach to shape a biblically-informed community of love. That's what Paul's objective in life was, and he was doing that. And he says, when Christ is our life, we experience spiritual intimacy with Him. Where do I get that? Verse 21, for me, to live is Christ. Notice first that, that God doesn't have favorites in the world. But He does have intimates. People who make life all about 
Him. And clearly they see the world differently than other people do. And I'm inviting you to join their ranks this morning, to let your whole life be about Christ. Notice it's personal. For to me, He says, So at some point in life, we have to personalize this. Many of us could say, to my parents, to my grandfather, to my best friend, to live is Christ. But I'm not talking about them. I'm asking you to fill in the blank. For me, for to me, it's, it's, it's personal. One of my friends who was encouraging me this week just sent me a picture of the flyleaf of her Bible. It's actually the same letter, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And it's the amplified version. And in that, she has this picture of her purpose in life, my life's ultimate purpose. For my determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and more clearly. That was Paul, that's what Paul meant by to me to live is Christ. Can I just ask you, is that statement, I had to ask myself, is that true of me? Because there's so many idols in the world. So we might say, to me, to live is approval of other people. To me, to live is comfort. To me, to live is control. To me, to live is power. But if you fill in the first blank that way, well then when you start filling in the second blank, it gets kind of crazy. For me, to live is power. To die is to lose it all. So... If you can't fill in the blank, you might ask a friend this week, what is life to me? You know me. What's my life really about? What do I think about when I wake up in the morning? What do I think about when I go to bed at night? To, to personalize it and to say, this is what life... And if, if, this is, if Christ is not what life is about, I just want to say, whatever your life is about, that's not better. There's no way it's better. We were made... For him, And that's why, no matter how much of this world we gain, we're restless until we find rest in him. I was listening to Toby Mack on the way up to Dallas this week, and that song where he says, all eyes are on you. And there's a part of that chorus where he's just quoting Jesus. What, what, what is it gain to us if we, if we gain the whole world and lose our souls? What profit is that to us? But Paul uses that same word, profit, kerdo, to say to die is gain. To die is profit. But he knows that because for him life is Christ. That It's a personal thing to him. Notice that it's also practical. To me, to live. I think sometimes this is disconnected for us. So we say, well, one hour a week is about Christ. But it doesn't really change the way I live. It doesn't change the way I relate to people. It doesn't change the way I talk. It doesn't change the way I, I earn my money or spend my money or, or relate to other people. I had a front row seat one time. I was a substitute teacher in the little town of Axtell, Texas. One of my students was David Koresh's wife, Rachel, 15 years old, his wife, I said. And also in that class were students from my church. And I was grading an essay one day, and one of the girls just very simply said, I go to church every Sunday, but it doesn't have anything to do with my life. And I thought, wow, I wonder if she knew her pastor was going to read the essay. That was one thought. And the other thought was, how did I ever leave her with that impression? That, that life, that church is about God, but the rest of life is about me or about 
this or that. And, and I was, you know, it was, it was a clarifying moment for me in ministry to realize that life is really about Christ. Our, our practical lives are about Christ. So Eugene Peterson captures it in the message in Romans 12.1, his translation of that. He says, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God is the NIV translation of that. Life is about Him. Think about Johnny Erickson Tata, who in her youth had a tragic accident which left her paralyzed. She had prayed before that when she was paralyzed in that accident. Her first prayer, she said when she woke up, was, God, I will never trust you with another of my prayers. Never. But then there came a moment, a clear moment, when she said, Oh God, if I can't die, show me how to live. Following Jesus is about our whole lives. It's about living life consciously aware that He's always with us. We live life in the presence of God. We may be all alone as it relates to other people, but we're never alone because God is always with us. It's the quintessential promise of Scripture. For good or for bad, He is with us. And all we have to decide is whether or not we're going to be with Him. Paul said, to me, to live is Christ. Is that even possible? Somebody here will say to me, Pastor, I don't even know anybody who does what you're talking about. I don't know anybody. Is that even possible? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't possibly make Christ the focus of, of my life. I, I don't even have the ability, and I'll just agree with you, you don't. You do not have the ability to make Christ the focus of your life. But He can empower you to do just that. And what if He did? What if Christ made it powerful for me to live as Christ? Christ, the Messiah, the answer, the, the, the one who was sent by God. For, for me to live as Christ, what, what does that look like as I live that out in my daily life? It means He's first in my thoughts. He shapes the way I think. He shapes the way I relate to other people. Christ becomes our life. And if Christ is your life, you know, Paul says... When Christ, who is our life, appears, and every time I read that, I think, so is that true? Is He really our whole life? And maybe you don't know anybody who does that, so I just want to say, make it, make it you then. You be the one who does that. Henry Varley didn't remember later what he said to D.L. Moody, but D.L. Moody could never forget it. They had a conversation, and Henry Varley said, so the world has yet to see what God can do. Notice the prepositions, in, with, through, and for. The person whose life is wholly consecrated to him. And D.L. Moody walked away that day and said, I will be that person. That's who I will be. Just to show you, you can't start too young. When Jonathan Edwards, one of the great pastors and theologians of colonial United States, was 17 years old, he wrote 70 resolutions. And if you read them, you think, how was a 17-year-old making commitments like this? But the first resolution Jim Dennison reminded me this week was, I will live for God. And the second resolution, if nobody else does, I still will. You can't start this too young. I was 12 years old when God made it clear to me that he wanted me to be a pastor. You can't start too young to make Christ your whole life. Because when you choose to make Christ your life, well then, personally and practically and powerfully, 
you will discover an intimacy with Christ that you'll never have apart from saying, Lord, you're, you're my whole life. In gospel-shaped community, when Christ is our life, we, we experience spiritual intimacy with Christ. In gospel-formed community, when Christ is our life, we exert spiritual influence on other people. I think that's what Paul's talking about. If you look back at verses 12 to 18, when he says the whole Praetorian Guard has found out. So he's exerting influence on the prison guards, these Roman soldiers. But he's also influencing the gospel in other ways. And he sees life this way and he says, so if I continue to live, what that's going to mean is your progress and joy in the faith. That's what he says in verse 25. If I continue to live, it's going to be fruitful labor for me. Now remember he prayed back in verse 11, I pray that you will be filled with spiritual fruit. For Paul, it was about bearing fruit. So he was always planting seeds of the gospel and watching God bring that to life in people. I read this week about uh, Jadev Payang who lives on an island um, called Maluji. It's in the Brahmaputra River over in India, it's a river where there are monsoons and the foliage gets wiped out and the houses get torn down. And they actually think this island, they were saying 30 years ago, it's going to disappear because the erosion in the middle of that river is so severe. And Jadav Payang decided to do something about it. So he went there and he planted a tree. And then he planted another. And then he planted another. Started in 1979. Now he has planted 1,300 acres of trees. For you New York fans, that's bigger than Central Park in New York City. Here's a person who said, I'm going, I'm going to plant. I'm going to plant. And he is making a difference. Now watch the Apostle Paul planting the seed of the gospel and then watching in Philippi when he planted it in Lydia's life, when he planted it in the jailer's life. And he's looking just like every, every farmer looks for that first green shoot. Is, is something going to come to life? And sure enough, now the church at Philippi is bearing fruit. And he says, I want you to be filled with fruit. And if I live, it's going to be fruitful labor for me. And I'm going to live so that you have progress and joy in the faith. Sometimes our senior adults ask me, why am I still here? We have friends in our church, friends in our community who are in their 90s, and and sometimes they pray, Jesus, just take me home. True story. One lady was talking to her son. He came over to see her. She was in her 90s, and she was kind of weepy, and he said, why are you so sad? And she said, all my friends have died and gone to heaven. He said, well, that's a good thing, Mom. I mean, they're in heaven. We, We know where they are. That's a good thing. And she said, I'm afraid they think I went the other way. I'm kind of worried about this. Well, the thing is, in Christ, we have this confidence that we're here for a reason. So what was Paul's reason for being here? The progress and joy in the faith for other people. So if somebody asks you, I don't even know why I'm still here, Paul's answer is our answer. For the progress and joy in the faith of other people. I'm still here today because God wants us to progress and to have deeper joy in the faith in Him. That's why we're still here. That's why God leaves us here. And we get to exert spiritual influence on other people. Amazing story I saw this week. young woman named Ann Snyder goes off to college. She studies journalism. And she wants to make a difference in the world. She's a brilliant researcher. She gets out of college. She's looking for a job. She's not finding anything. And then she gets a call. After she's been out of college for about three years, she gets a call from a guy named David Brooks, 
who writes for the New York Times, who writes books, and he says, I hear you're a researcher. Would you come and help me research for my next book? I'm writing a book on character, and I need somebody to help me. David Brooks was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Ann Snyder is. She goes. She does research for him. You get the book. It's a very popular book. You get the book, and in the foreword, he says, if there are any good ideas in this book, they came from Ann Snyder. I admire her moral conviction. I love the way she lives her life. In effect, he was saying, I I can't comprehend her life apart from the fact that she has relationship with Jesus Christ, and it has influenced the way he thinks. And it just happens that God placed her as the researcher for a man who writes for the New York Times, a man who, this is beautiful, writes best-selling books. And she's using her influence. So Paul plants a seed in Philippi. That's the first church planted on the continent of Europe, by the way. And it moves across from there, right? And eventually gets to England and to Holland. And, and then it comes to the United States. And it makes it across in the Great Awakenings. And it ends up in Texas. And somebody brought it to Houston. And here we are. Because somebody exerted spiritual influence for the progress and joy in the faith of people like us. And Paul saying, pay it forward. Do it again. Do it again and again and again. When Christ is our life, we, we live, we experience spiritual intimacy. We exert spiritual influence. When Christ is our life, when we live in gospel-formed community, we expect spiritual improvement. Now, here's the second part of it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul says, I desire to depart. And I read that and I thought, I'm a long way from that sometimes. Are you? I mean, I'm a long way from that. I mean, we spend most of our lives trying to stay healthy so we can live longer. We spend a lot of our prayer meetings praying people right out of heaven. I mean, we, we just, we want, everybody's supposed to live forever. Nobody's ever supposed to die. We just got this lens on life that for some reason we've got to cling to life to the very last second. And Paul says, actually, Death for a Christian is better by far. And I wonder if we believe that. I only asked because I was in a conversation this week and I, I said hello to one of my friends. I said, how are you? He said, I'm alive. And his family was there and they're wonderful people. And they chimed in and said, it's better than the alternative. To be alive is better than the alternative. Have you ever said that? You ever heard anybody say that? I just want to test it this morning. Is that really true? You mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ And you're going to live in his presence forever and ever. And to live here is better than that? Really? This really reshapes our thinking, doesn't it? We actually expect spiritual improvement in the presence of God. He says, it is better by far. That's why he says, I desire. And I would have to say that in many cases, we don't desire to depart and be with God. I understand we don't want to go early. I mean, we want to, you know, I think about the emperor who who was angry at one of his servants and he pronounced the judgment of death on him. And then he kind of felt bad about it later and he said, I'm sorry, but there's a rule. I can't change my mind. I've I've given you the edict of death. That's your punishment. But I will let you choose how you die. And the man said, great, old age. 
I'll just die of old age. That'll be great. You want to let me choose? That's the way I choose. That'll be fine with me. And most of us would say that. We just want to, we just want to, you know, live as long as we possibly can. It's better than the alternative. But I want to say to you today, actually, the alternative is better if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The alternative has to be better. How so? Well, the quintessential promise of Scripture is the presence of Christ. And when we die, that is greatly multiplied and amplified. We will be literally in His presence. People ask me sometimes, so what happens when we die? Well, Paul teaches us about this. And there are two theories on it. I have two New Testament theologians who tried to teach me through the years. One, Earl Ellis, famous guy up at Southwestern Seminary. And he said, when you die, you go to sleep. Your body is buried, and the next thing you know, you're in the presence of Jesus. But it might be hundreds of years, thousands of years, but your soul is asleep. Just between you and me, I don't think Paul would have called that better by far. No, what Paul says here, what he says here is to live is Christ, to die is gain. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as he's teaching about this, he, he just says, look, we're at home in the body. And as long as we're at home in the body, we can't be at home with the Lord. But the minute we're out of the body and we're unclothed by our body, then we're immediately present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what's the whole resurrection thing about? Well, here's the thing. Then when Jesus Christ returns, He will raise the bodies and and we'll have bodies. And you say, well, why would we need a body? Because here's the thing. We're not going to spend all of eternity flitting around like angels, like ephemeral, ethereal spirits sort of wisping around. No. Why? Because the new, the new Jerusalem, the city of heaven, comes back down to earth. A new earth. An earth without cancer or heart disease or poverty or sickness or war. And we will have bodies. Jesus, after He's resurrected, eats, eats food. He eats fish. So we'll eat in heaven. That's why I think so many of Jesus' stories about heaven, His parables, are all about big banquets, you know, and everybody's eating. And we try to put that into practice here, don't we? We don't meet unless we eat. And in a way, in our fellowship here, we are anticipating an even greater fellowship there, great spiritual improvement. So He says, I desire to depart. The word depart can mean like to pull up the stakes of a tent and move to another place. That's certainly that. It also can mean to loose the moorings or the ropes of a boat that's about to leave. This is what Alfred Lord Tennyson was talking about in his poem, Crossing the Bar. You know this, this poem, uh, Sunset and Evening Star and One Clear Call for Me. And may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea, but such a tide as moving seems asleep, too full for sound and foam, when that which drew from out the boundless deep turns again home. Twilight and evening bell, and after that the dark, and may there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. For though from out our bourne of time and place the flood may bear me far, I hope, and hope is confident expectation in the Scripture, I hope to see my pilot face to face. When I have crossed the bar. He wrote that after a near terminal illness when he was on a boat. And he wanted to see that metaphor. And this is Paul says, I desire to depart. I'm, I'm ready to go. Now I'm going to stay for your progress and join the faith. But when God is ready to call me, I'm ready to go. And just think about all the images of heaven that we love. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
The new NIV says, the darkest valley. I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. And, and then in John chapter 14, uh, where he says, um, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go, I'll come again and, re- and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I know we, we think about heaven as, you know, well, is it going to be streets of gold and what kind of mansion will I have? Here's, here's all you need to know about heaven. He's there. And if life here is about living in His presence, then going to be with His presence is going to be amazing. Here's another thought. If life here has nothing to do with Him, then why do we talk about wanting to go to heaven someday? Because our lives will finally be complete in the presence of the one who made us for himself. And that's why, and that's why it's okay to let our loved ones go and be with him because it really is better by far. When Oswald Chambers died at the age of 43, the telegram that went round the world from his family was just four words Oswald in the presence. And his friends so knew how he had lived his life for Christ that they understood exactly what that meant. Better by far. This is our hope. This is our confident expectation. I remember a song when I was in in college. I think Wayne Watson may have sung it. One day Jesus will call my name. As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to Him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the promise of eternal life. Thank You that to be with You is better by far. We confess, Lord, we sometimes don't live like we believe that. And we want You to make that right today. We want You to so become our life as disciples of Jesus Christ that whether we live or die, we glorify you with all that we are. This is our heart's desire. And if it's not our heart's desire, I pray that you would make it so. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.